Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Young Ambiguous Podcast. Today is uh, January 2019. It's a new year. Um, praying for you if you have some goals that you're trying to accomplish this year. Um, one of my goals is to do these episodes more consistently and keep you guys in the loop on our social media. So Young Ambiguous, um, Twitter and Instagram, Young Ambig. Um, so if you want to follow us, that's great. Today in the studio um, and remote locations, uh, I have two really special friends, Tara and Sarah, and we're going to be talking about a difficult subject, and I think it's one that many Christians really shy away from and are really uh, nervous and maybe even get into sweaty panics about because it's one that is hard to tie up into a neat little bow. And that is chronic illness. So today I have Tara and Sarah here. They're two special friends who are living in that community. They're a part of that community. And so I wanted to give them a platform to share um, their thoughts, their hearts, as the things that they've learned um, after being diagnosed and going through that whole process. And so we're going to have a great conversation today. So Tara, Sarah, welcome to Young Ambiguous. Thanks for being here as uh, my guest. Sure, yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, so I figure the best place to start, and maybe you guys can rock, paper, scissors, but um, <laughs> is to kind of just describe your, you know, your diagnosis, your condition, whatever, uh, and, and however you want. So maybe take like a couple minutes and just share what it is you're going through. Okay, well, I'll go first. Um, I'm Sarah. This is my voice, um, the nasally New Yorker. That can be my code name. Um, but uh, no, my illness is eosinophilic esophagitis. It's a hand. Uh, if you can't say it, that's okay. Actually, JJ said it when we went to our appointments because it took me forever to learn how to say it. Um, it goes by EOE, and basically what it means is, and I try to think of an illustration to describe it. It's a. It's called an allergic disorder. It's called a chronic disorder. It's basically just a hot mess. Um, if you can picture the scene like in a movie like Indiana Jones or Star Wars where there's like two walls that are suddenly like caving in and coming closer and closer together and then they pull a lever and they're able to stop it. Well, that's what's happening in my esophagus. When I eat certain foods, which I still don't know what my triggers are, um, so I have a really hard time eating, um, my throat slowly closes in um, and then I have trouble eating everything where it seems like I'm having allergic reaction every time I'm eating. And I had this happen for about 10 years. It started in college. It was very slow moving, um, where it was just like rice and something random, and then it would disappear and I was fine again. And then um, when I was about 25, um, it got way worse, where I was just getting sick all the time. I was crying. It also exhibited anxiety. I became afraid being around food. Um, so I was diagnosed with anxiety. Um, they were like, no, there's nothing physically wrong with you. You've created this reality. You're just a very anxious person and you need to deal with it. And I was actually told that by a doctor. And when I told another doctor that later, they wanted to know their name because they were so upset that I was told that. Um, cause that's like the worst thing to tell an anxious person is, um, just calm yourself down. Um, so it was pretty bad. And then after that, um, they put me on Zoloft for a while, which just helped me forget that I was sick, hmm. but then I got sicker, um, wow. really sick where I was just, um, uh, before I got diagnosed, um, I actually had Turkey get lodged in my esophagus for about 10 minutes. Oh. That's actually pretty lucky because most people, when they get diagnosed with EOE, they get diagnosed as an adult after they get food lodged in their esophagus, have to go in for an emergency endoscopy and get their throat ripped apart in the process. So by the grace of God, my turkey went down. But after that, I became like a Google guru where I was searching every one of my symptoms. And literally, oh. this is a testament to God. Um, I lived in Dallas, Texas at the time, and I lived five minutes from an acetophilic esophagitis clinic. Oh so when I put in my symptoms, it popped up. And right that was away. The yeah. Time, yeah. And that was the first time I'd ever heard. I went into the doctor. He's like, oh, sweetie, which is my favorite phrase when I go to the doctor. <laughs> um, oh, sweetie, you don't have that. And I'm just like, can you just please test me? And that's basically what it became. I'm like, please just test me. Maybe I'm crazy. You're right. I'm crazy. Just test me anyway. They tested me. And when I was diagnosed, I actually moved in the pro in the process to um, 
Atlanta, met another gastroenterologist who was like, all right, I'll test you, even though I know you don't have this. It's so rare. Well, my results came back. She was like, I don't know how you knew you had this, but that's what you have. Wow. And it was awful because when my research of acetophilic esophagitis is, it's a very, it's a chronic disease that they still don't know how to treat. They just put wow. you on steroids for pretty much your whole life and hope it works out. They'll give you Flovin. They'll have you on a crazy diet. And um, I just couldn't handle any of it. So right now I'm on a crazy diet because that's the only thing that seems to help. I can't take any medications because my body immediately rejects them and I get super, super sick. Like when I say sick, I mean... I can't eat for weeks. Like I am barely getting food down, not because my body is like, not to be gross, like vomiting or throwing up. I literally can't get things down my throat. Like Mm -hmm. just can't get them down. Like my throat is just so tight. Um, And it's miserable because you're just going through massive depression at the same time. So that's EOE in a nutshell. Um, It's just basically you get a diagnosis for symptoms but it doesn't help you the diagnosis at all. You're just basically told like, this is your new life and have a good day. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like your journey is similar in some regards with the Googles and (laughs) doing a lot of research. Yeah. Some of it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So my story actually started in 2008. I got sick. Didn't realize I was sick. I thought I was stressed because I was young and naive and living away from home. Um, and after months of being sick, lost like 30 pounds, couldn't sleep, everything I ate went through me. Um, my resting heart rate was like 165. They diagnosed me with Graves' disease, which is just autoimmune. Um, it attacks your thyroid and goes into hyper overdrive. Uh, we did medication treatment. I was allergic to those, and so we did a type of radiation, which we'll come back later in the story. But um, eventually got balanced out had a few good years of health and then suddenly started having like these intense migraine attacks with abdominal pain and vomiting. Um, I went to the ER a few times for it. And then the next year these heart things started and I went and saw a cardiologist and um, we did all these tests and it led us to doing a tilt table test, which is Mm -hmm. such an archaic weird test. Um, And everybody kept telling me it was going to be super boring, the most boring test of my life, but my body lost its mind During the Mm. test, I honestly thought I was going to die. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't see or hear out of the left side. I was sweating profusely. My heart rate went up. My blood pressure dropped. Um, And afterwards, after I had rested for a little while, the doctor came in. He said, well, Tara, we didn't find the arrhythmia that we were looking for, but we discovered that there's something wrong in your autonomic nervous system, Mm. which I didn't even know what that was, so it was scary. But I later learned that it's the part of your nervous system that – controls the unconscious processes so like digestion the most important the stuff. Mo- most important things yeah breathing heart rate blood pressure um wow. so we were just trying to figure that out but in the meantime like i kept going into different arrhythmias they implanted a heart monitor in my chest um i was having all these weird neurological symptoms and so i was seeing a cardiologist and a neuro- uh, neurologist and they kind of were Unsure, Like, they just knew that there was something wrong with my nervous system, Mm. and my symptoms were just very odd, so they put me on um, medication to keep the heart rate down because I would just randomly shoot up. My heart rate would just go crazy. Uh, Medicine to raise my blood pressure, medicine to keep me in in a normal rhythm. In the process of that, I started having these, like, intense GI issues. Um, Went and saw a GI, and... For a while, probably like six months, we did a, a plethora of testing. And through like diagnosis of exclusion, they were like, well, it has to be our gallbladder, so let's take it out. I was like, I don't care. I'm desperate. Let's do it. So we took out the gallbladder, and they are like, yeah, you were having gallbladder attacks. It was scarred. But even afterwards, I was still sick. Mm. Um, and I kept telling my GI, I'm still sick. I'm still sick. And they would respond to me and say, you know, you're just having phantom gallbladder pain. Like when somebody loses a limb and they have that phantom pain, that's what you're having. I know. Gerald's making a face. That's so funny. It's mm-hmm. an internal organ. That's what, I, I forgot about that. I had that happen to you, Tara. My gallbladder's gone too. Really? And I attacks after. And I was told the same thing. Your body just misses your gallbladder. Oh, my gosh. Well, I kept pushing the issue for a year with my doctor. And they kept yeah. saying, like, just steam your vegetables. And I said, that's not helping. Um, So after a year of that, and then another random diagnosis just casually thrown at me, 
um, I was asked to be referred to Orlando. Um, and so I did get referred out there. And so a year and a half after my gallbladder was taken out and I was still sick, saw a new doctor. Immediately, he, he looked at my records and he said, I'm worried that you've been sick like this for so long, and I'm sorry that you've been sick like this for so long. So he sent me to have something called an endoscopic ultrasound where they found scar tissue on my pancreas. Um, and they said the only thing that can cause that is chronic pancreatitis. So then we had to do another um, more risky invasive procedure called an ARCP. Um, and they figured out why I was having chronic pancreatitis. It's because the, uh, the muscle, it's called the sphincter of OD, that opens the bile ducts to let you know the, the digestive and pancreatic juices come through, was spasming shut. And it was causing the pancreatic enzymes to back up and start digesting my pancreas. And wow. so they diagnosed me with the sphincter of OD dysfunction and chronic pancreatitis. Um, so wow. it's a pretty new diagnosis as of June. Uh, and recently my doctor said, this is all we can do for you at this stage. Mm. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah. Wow. And, and that, both of those stories highlight so many of the problems and reasons why people are so uncomfortable with this topic because of the amount of effort and energy that you both and, and chronic illness sufferers or patients like have to go through in order to even get a diagnosis and then it's usually this diagnosis stacked on top of this diagnosis stacked mm -hmm. on top of these issues that are kind of not related and so it's just like so much energy is put forth for you guys to even have medical professionals treat you yeah yeah you know and and to me what well both you know and Sarah in your story your your um, illness is so rare it's weird they wouldn't just, you know, test you to rule it out. Mm -hmm. If it's such a rare and serious condition, just let's get that off the table with a test instead of just being like assuming and the doctor just taking a educated guess that it's not your condition. It's not what you have. Yeah. yeah. There's just a lot. And I think Tara can attest to this. There's just a lot of problems within the medical community itself. Like doctors are overworked. Nurses are overworked. Yeah. Like there's good medical people mm -hmm. and it's not always their fault. And sometimes yeah. it's simply because they just are overrun. And it's so easy to just hear someone say, I'm anxious about this. And they're just like, oh, anxious. That's an easy. Okay. Mm -hmm. here, here's some Zoloft. You're, you'll be good now. Yeah. I heard and they're not hearing why you're anxious. And I'm like, if you were choking at every meal, you would be anxious yeah. like yeah. you would be anxious about that like that's a normal reaction to your body and so that's like the problem is that like I really I've had I have a lot of grace for doctors now I will be really honest about this when I was first diagnosed I was I was so mad at the doctors that missed out because I was literally a yeah. classic case of BOE and I like and I went on Google and I basically reviewed all of them and I was just like hey if you have these symptoms they're not checking for this illness please go to Orlando or go to another specialist that will check you for xenophobic savagitis because I just was like I lost five years of my life because yeah. they just wouldn't hear what came after I'm anxious right. yeah and it's not even after they give you the diagnosis that you get this wave of like peace and understanding and everything makes sense oh, and yeah. then there's a treatment it's usually okay here's the diagnosis there's no treatment but here's what works for some people right you know yeah no and that, i think that's what's so hard too is that there there really isn't like i hate to say this i'm like okay i gotta bring up enneagram because i just love it i'm an enneagram four so i'm kind of an eeyore in general and i kind of have an eeyore illness because there's there's not really a silver lining. Like I literally had somebody come up to me after I got diagnosed and they're like, oh, but when can you eat donuts again? And I literally wanted to be like, I don't think ever, like probably never. Like I can't even eat a slice of bread. What makes you think I can eat a donut? Like a glazed <laughs> slice of bread, like put with sugar and fat and butter. Like I just wanted to look at this person. And I was like, bless them. But seriously, like, I would just love to be able to eat a meal out in a restaurant, period, mm -hmm. let alone a donut. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that just killed me. That's so crazy, which is kind of the next thing I wanted to talk about is for people like myself who aren't in that community, what is, you know, what are some lessons learned from friends and family or people 
that you've interacted with and like what is what is the appropriate reaction and then maybe you guys can share some like ridiculous ones that we should avoid Mm. I think it's hard because a lot of people they don't understand um, and so they don't understand a lot of times they just don't say anything which is okay like I don't need you to say anything but at the same time if I'm sick I'm sick Mm -hmm. you know yeah um I don't feel like I've had a ton of really bad experiences with this. I feel like I've had a really great community response, um, but I've had a few. You know, initially when it started, I feel like everybody and their brother who sold any sort of shake, pill, oil, <laughs> I don't wrap, I don't know, came out of the woodwork and was yeah. like, try my product, it'll heal you. And, you know, at one point I literally said, if you don't have an oil that will stop my arrhythmia, please don't bring it up again. You know, yeah disclaimer I've had some really great people who I know love me offer me products tell me what they think will help and I've tried some of them and some of them have helped but I mean it's not going to heal me Mm -hmm. um Uh I think one of the most difficult responses I had I I saw somebody and they were like Tara how are you and I was sick that day and I was like oh you know I'm okay I'm not feeling so good but I'm all right and she was like hey honey you are healed and whole in Jesus name And I said, "Um, but I'm not, Mm. you know, maybe one day, but maybe not. Jesus doesn't heal everybody, you know? And so that's been a conversation I've had with a lot of people is like, the Lord does not heal everybody. And and are you okay with that? I I have to be okay with it because what if it's not in his will for me? Yeah. Um, So just really interesting conversations, usually like that. um, But I feel like I've had overall pretty, pretty good response minus all the MLMs coming after me. Sarah? I want to give a lot of people a lot of grace, but we live in the South, so this is like the food capital of America. Like, we just love food down here. And so because mine is so radical and it's so hardcore with food and it's allergies, which everybody and their mother hates um, because you hear about allergies everywhere now, yeah. that it's like I've had mostly, like, people that love me have, like, truly loved me through this they would admit they have not always had the best reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a hard illness to wrap your head around. Like, and it's really hard to go from one day where I can eat anything I want. And then it's like, no, I can't eat any of that. Like I can't mm-hmm. eat any of it. And also it was even harder is because I was diagnosed with anxiety about food for years. I was telling people I'm not really allergic to anything. My doctor just says it's all in my head, but please don't eat that around me or I can't eat that. And then they're just looking at me like I'm insane. And then when I finally get a medical diagnosis that says, oh, this was legitimate. I was having yeah. allergic reactions. They're just not normal. Mm-hmm. They're looking at me like, okay, like let me wrap my head around this. And I've had some like, and you have to go into this, like honestly with chronic illness, you will die from the chronic illness if you do not develop a sense of humor about it. Like you have to, because otherwise the reactions will kill you. And I've had people like, I've literally had a a big fat Greek wedding moment where a relative was like, I know you can't have dairy, but can you have yogurt and ice cream? And I just like, I have had to re-educate people about the food pyramid. I'm like, no, like she's like, but you can have butter, right? And I just wanted to be like, yeah, I could have butter. Like, no, like, so like, you're just trying to give people grace about like different things, but it's also really hard. And there's some days where in all honesty, like when you're dealing with chronic illness, there's days where like, it, we don't even know what we want. Like, at least speaking for me, I don't yeah. even know what I want. Like, I sometimes want to act just normal. So like, the worst thing to do with me right now is if I go out to a restaurant with you, like, I can't eat out. Like, I can eat like 20 foods, literally, like, not trying to be a sob story, but I can eat like 20 ingredients. That's it. That's it. That's all my body can tolerate right now while we still work it all out. Maybe one day it'll be more, but right now it's 20 ingredients. And so I can't eat out because there's just too much exposure. And like, if I get exposed to it, no, I, at this point I have not gone into anaphylaxis, which is when you stop breathing, but I can't eat for a month. So I'll literally drop 15 pounds like Mm -hmm. immediately just from not being able to eat for three weeks because I can't eat. And so explaining that to people, like having people as they're eating, not like stop conversation to be like, Oh, Sarah, this is delicious. I'm so sorry. That's a real bummer. (laughs) It makes me feel awful. I like actually when people eat, specifically people that do this every time, I actually get up and go and do something else because I feel awful sitting there. I feel like the dog at the table that you can't feed. They're like, don't feed the dog. Like we don't feed the dog. Um, And I actually joke. 
look oh, with people man. and you're like, they feel, they're like, oh, but I'll, I'll figure out something that you can make. I'll, I'll make something for you. And I'm like, please accept that you can't make something for me. And now I just joke with people. I'm like, I'm the monkey at the zoo. Can't feed the monkey at the zoo, right? And they're like, oh, <laughs> like you're like the monkey. Oh, I'm like, gosh. all right, like found my joke, found my out. Because like wow. you just need like – I need an out. Like, that's really the biggest thing. Like, just let me be normal sometimes. Like, yeah, there's times where I want you to be like, you're like, if I bring up to you, like, treat me like a normal human being. Like, if a normal human being that doesn't have a chronic illness is like, I'm having a hard day, what would you do for that person? You would stop and be like, what's going on? Can I pray with you? I'm really sorry that you're having a hard day. And if I'm yeah. not saying I'm having a hard day, don't make me feel like I need to have a hard day by being like, it's really stinks that you can't eat donuts. Like it really stinks. Like, because when you get me in that cycle, like I'm not there, but you doing that makes me go to a dark place where I'm like, you're, yeah, you're, you're right. You're I pointing to it. My kid. Like, yeah. Like, and like, it depresses me. Like when people point out what I can't eat and I'll be like, Oh, can you eat the foods that your kids eat? No, I make them different food. And they're like, well, doesn't that hurt them? And I'm like, to see me not eating foods I think they're fine because they're still getting to eat cookies but like please don't put mom guilt on me that I can't eat what my kids eating like come on like it's my body it is what it is it's just tough no I hear you and that's that's one thing you wouldn't do to like the handicapped community you know you wouldn't just be like oh wow so sorry you can't like ride a bike or you know see the sunrise or all these different things like you don't highlight that for people who like <laughs> no it's i think of that jim gaffigan joke I, I don't know if you guys have heard it where he's been told like he'll be walking around with his kids he has like four or five kids and he'll mm-hmm. be like he'll hear from people you sure do have a lot of kids and he's like would you go up to like a handicapped like kid in a wheelchair and be like you don't do a lot of dancing do you oh my like, gosh like, <laughs> yeah stop. like just stop yeah. people people feel like um they need to acknowledge the condition or acknowledge like what's happening to keep you involved and and that's kind of like the double-edged sword is yeah. the the sweeping impact across your life that this um you know the illness has but also like it's not that you have become this illness right. like you're still a person yeah exactly yeah no that's one thing that i absolutely do not want to happen i do not want um, these illnesses to become a label. It's not who I am. It's not a label at all. You know, there's a lot of people in the chronic illness community who do define themselves by their illness. You know, people call themselves a spoonie. Um, I, I can't. I just can't do that. Um, you know, but the balancing of the day-to-day life is really interesting. Um, for me, it's literally like juggling because if one thing gets off, then everything starts to go off, you mm. know? And so, like, if if I have some kind of attack, I have an issue with food as well. I, I'm supposed to eat um, low-fat, lean meats, you know? And so that cuts out a lot, a lot, a lot of food, yeah. um, fried food. And so it's like, okay, what can I eat? I go out to eat. I'm, like, trying to scan the nutrition labels to see what I can eat. Usually yeah. I just end up sticking with salads. Um but for instance, if I have some sort of pancreatic flare, then that can throw off my nervous system. And what we've learned is that with my nervous system, when that's off, that's when I get the weird symptoms. Like Gerald and I worked together for a while, so he's seen them where I start stuttering or I slur my words or I become very clumsy. Um, so day-to-day juggling for me looks like I yeah. have to eat a lot of salt, which is like everybody's dream, right? So I'm supposed to eat a ton of salt, and if I don't, my blood pressure doesn't go high enough. Um, stay hydrated, get rest, take my medications on time, uh, make sure I eat the right foods, don't eat too much food. Um, I usually can't eat a normal-sized meal because I'll get sick. Um, and then if I actually catch something, like, that makes it worse. Um, yeah. I got totally. sick traveling home from Ohio for Christmas, and I think I might have picked up a stomach bug at my grandma's mm. nursing home. Um, cause my, my aunt and my cousin got it as well, but then it triggered a flare and I thought I was going to die on the airplane. I started to pass out on the airplane and then I started to pass out in the airport, which is all new for me. Um, you know, and so it took six days of like eating very little, trying to stay hydrated, resting for that to go away. And then I got a cold. <laughs> and so, but one of the medications I take is an immunosuppressant. And so it makes it harder. Um, yes. It's just, it feels like a balancing act that I don't always want to talk about. You know, yeah. it's just people are like, why are you eating? What is that huge pill you're taking? Because I have to take pancreatic enzymes every time I eat. 
Yeah. And so people are like, what is that pill? And so now I like try to, you know, kind of casually hide it or don't judge how much salt I'm using. You know, I say that a lot. So it's interesting balancing acts day to day just to try to keep everything good. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, there's so many different layers to it, though, too. Like you're saying, everything impacts it and, and can have an effect on it in a positive or negative way. Um, yeah. And as somebody you know, who's friends with you guys, I want to support and be available, you know, and help. And I feel, you know, there's a, there's a certain amount of independence that, you know, you still want to have, even though you might be suffering and stuff. So maybe what is a, what is one of the best ways somebody reacted or has served or helped you, you know, dealing with your condition? What's a, what's a good role model for us to see and, emulate well you know for me I have a couple friends who um, have gone to great lengths to try to understand Um, I one of my friends she texted me and said okay so I'm reading over the diet that you're supposed to be on and just making sure I have these foods in my house for when you come over and I was like what really you're doing that you know it just blessed me Um, I have friends like Gerald, um, who will text when I'm sick and be like, do you need anything? Do you, you know, because like you said, a lot of times I don't know what I need. I have no idea what I need. And so, I, you know, I don't want people to read my mind, but if you if you throw something out there, chances are it may be something I need and I just don't realize it. Hmm. Um, but even like super practical, on my way home from Ohio when I was really sick, my friend texted me and said, I'm, I'm taking chicken soup to your house, putting it in your fridge. So when you get home, all you have to do is eat some soup and go to bed. And that just, man, that, that was amazing for me. And so those simple kinds of things have been just really helpful for me and yeah. really blessed me in a, in a very genuine way. Mm, yeah, no, those are great things. Um, I think honestly, just letting me be me. And like, that sounds like such a big answer, but it's actually the biggest thing people can do is sometimes like not letting EOE be my definer. Um, Mm -hmm. not even like just letting me have normal days. Like if I bring it up, then letting me talk about it and then just being like, that sucks. Like, like not needing to like, not like needing to go further into it or be like, Oh, are you trying this? Are you doing this? Just being like, I'm really sorry. You're having a bad day. Like JJ does that for me. Like a lot, my husband, um, because he knows that sometimes I just need to vent about it and just be like, yeah. this is really hard. Like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. And he'll just be like, I'm really sorry. Today is really hard. And it's just something simple as that. Just acknowledging like today was really hard. Like I get that. Or um, like a lot of my family and JJ's family and different people have really been good about like acknowledging like without making a big deal, like, like, Hey, if I order this, is this okay? Will it like, mm. because sometimes yeah. smells trigger me, which mm-hmm. is really hard. Cause it's like, it, it's a smell, but sometimes it'll just make me feel like, especially if I'm already feeling kind of down and I'm feeling kind of anxious. My, that's just how my autoimmune system goes. Um, they're really good at just being like, Hey, can, like, if, is it okay? Will this smell trigger you? And I'm like, thank you for asking. Like, no, that's totally fine. So I really appreciate that. And then they move on to the next topic, which is like, it's, that's amazing to me because they're acknowledging yeah. that I might have a need, but also being like, I'm not going to turn this into like, well, is that real? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, just being yeah, yeah. like hey, yeah. this is what you need. And so I really appreciate that. And then let me have normal conversation because like, I hate that my EOE like day to day my EOE affects everything that I do. It affects literally from the moment that I wake up, like I don't have like my mouth. It's like hard for me to swallow even when I'm not eating. Like it's just hard. Like it's just a hard life. Um, but it's a good life at the same time because I'm moving and I'm going on with it. Um, and it's a lot better now that I'm not eating a lot of foods that I ate in the past. Um, but still I have bad days and like, but just being believed when I'm like, I'm about to be triggered, like I'm having a bad trigger, it's going to come. Like it's good when people know that I know my body enough to trust me and be like, okay, what can we do? And I'm like, okay, I need to do this to help like get my body back into it. And it's not me trying to be over dramatic. It's just me knowing my body enough to be like, hey, and I can't take Tylenol. I can't take like mm-hmm. any over the counter yeah. medication. Mm-hmm. So like if my body goes, I'm like, see you in two days yeah. um, because I'm going to be bedridden. So that's why like I do everything in my power to avoid my body failing. Yes. 
But sometimes I honestly just need people to understand like, hey, even though I'm on this diet and I'm doing everything that I can do, my body will have flare-ups and my body will fail me. Just as your body has flare-ups and it fails you even though you're healthy. So like just give me – like the people that just give me a break, that's the biggest thing. It's just let me be me and just don't make my EOE, like as Tara said, the thing that – finds me where it's just like oh that's my friend sarah that has eoe or a drool or make me a drool in your crap or you're like i'm friends with sarah that sweet soul and i'm earning points with jesus for heaven like because that just makes me feel i hate feeling like a burden so like that's mm, if yes. people that make me feel like i'm not a burden hallelujah you yes. are angels i love you you're incredible and um, it's, it's so gross it's yes. gross that people make you a burden that they're carrying like mm-hmm as if you're not carrying the actual burden and they're just a party to it. But yeah, you were going to say something? Yeah. No, I have to say one of my favorite things that I appreciate so much is um, I have a kind of a twisted sense of humor. And so I tend to make <laughs> jokes about this. Um, not always and not often, but yes. but when I do, it's pretty funny. And so I have a couple of my closest friends will joke around with me and make really dark jokes that sometimes I just really appreciate you know it's twisted but I appreciate it and so thanks guys yeah exactly so what I'm hearing is a you know accept and seek to understand the condition or the illness yes you know don't ask like in not inflammatory but like just like over the top questions like wow that's so ridiculous is that like don't question the validity or the truth of the diagnosis just accept it and then seek to do what you can to support whatever helps right am i yeah. am i seeing those three themes yeah i yeah. mean i probably am independent to a fault because i live alone gerald's not in his head um and so i I feel like for the most part, like, let's just live life and be normal. If I have a bad day, like, I'm going to have a bad day. And I usually warn people, you know. Um, But I just want to live my life as normal as I can. Um, You know, obviously keeping everything in check and being smart. But I just want to live it normally. Yeah. And I think one of the big things, too, that I've noticed is that it's – you guys have found a groove. And most people in that community, I would say, find a groove that works – and try yeah. and stay in that as much as possible mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. when you get off track, it's like a train wreck. Yeah. And yes. a lot of things, a lot of momentum, a lot of things fall apart really quickly. Whereas if I had a bad day, you know, I ate something weird or my stomach is hurting or I have a headache, like I can sleep it off and usually bounce back the next day. Yeah. Whereas it'll take you guys way darker and deeper into that pit of unhealthiness and just yes. out of sync and then it'll take longer for you guys to come back and recover yeah, too. for sure. So well, even before we got into it, Tara was talking about how she's sick and now she's in a flare up and the same thing happened to me. Like you don't just have the cold or the flu to deal with. Yeah. Like two weeks after I get the cold or the flu, when all my symptoms are finally gone there, then I get an EOE flare up. It's like, Hey, even though you've been eating healthy and doing everything normal, just because your body just been in, like immune system compromised, we're just going to bow out. So you're not going to eat for a while. Have fun. And you're just like, it was literally just the sickness that triggered it. Yeah. So yeah. it's really hard to be to be sick where you're miserable for two weeks and then you have to be sick for another two weeks because your body is just like, we're done. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's another aspect of it too is really being respectful of what keeps you guys healthy, you know? Yes. And it's kind of one of those common courtesy things that I think people take for granted, like not, you know, like not coming to work when they're sick or like not going around people you know, with immune compromised systems that mm-hmm. can't fight back as well as other people and just, you know, keeping your germs to yourself. That's definitely a huge part. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, don't judge us and think we're germaphobes that don't want to be around you. It's just that we have, it has huge consequences for us, like yeah. really big deal consequences. I'm, I'm the hypochondriac jerk who like, if you're sneezing <laughs> and coughing, like, I just don't want you to get me sick because I don't exactly. want to get sick, you know? And like, I've been not sick for a good amount of time and I don't want to like I think that's just a respectful human thing but yeah. even more so for you guys like exactly it, it, it has such a bigger impact so mm. let me ask you guys this what do you guys think is one of those things that if you had if you could never experience it again 
like if people talking to you or doctors or different things like a thing related to your condition that you would never have to go through again that's a tough one Mm-hmm. That really is, because there's so many to pick from. <laughs> <laughs> just being honest, just being real. Um, ooh, do you want to go first, Tara? Um, I mean, mine's kind of vague. There's like a vague one, and then there's a, a legit one. Okay, not I'm that the vague the one's way. not okay. legit, but um, you know, because the things I've been diagnosed with are rare, then a yeah. lot of doctors just don't know about it, and it's not that they're being mm. rude; they just don't know. Yeah. You know, and I appreciate that when doctors have um, the humility to say, like, I don't know. You know, I had a doctor say, Tara, I don't know. Um, Let's Mm -hmm. do research together. And we did. And I love that so much. I love that. Um, I have really great doctors. So it's just the general, um, I don't want to say lack of knowledge, but lack of knowledge of chronic pancreatitis or, you know, the autonomic stuff. Uh, but the more specific one, I did have one really bad experience with a doctor that I feel like is just going to screw me over moving forward. Um, I, when I first got diagnosed with the autonomic stuff, nobody knew what it was exactly. And so I got referred to a prominent, well-known hospital in Florida. Um, and I went up there, it was a three hour drive one way and I saw the doctor for maybe 40 minutes. He did some random neurological tests. And then he said, you know, um, if it's not one of these five things, of which four were cancer, by the way, um, if it's not one of these five things, then it's all emotional. Now, I have never had another doctor. I've never had another person say that to me. But when that doctor said it to me, I was crushed. I mean, by the time I got to the elevator, I was crying. And I didn't talk most of the three-hour drive home. Um, you know, and I'm thinking about going back to that hospital for the chronic pancreatitis stuff, but I'm afraid that his bullcrap um, <laughs> diagnosis and notes are going to follow me and haunt me, you know, yeah. and, and that's not fair at all because I want to go back to him and be like, hey, you were wrong and this is what it is. I have names, you know, it's inappropriate yeah. sinus tachycardia, it's neurocardiogenic syncope, it's chronic pancreatitis, it's all of these things that were very real. Um, yeah. So I, I just... I hate that experience still makes me sad and that was four years ago yeah wow well three years ago but still you just want to be understood you know and believed yeah just heard and listened to and like that's the big thing like with women we are underdiagnosed often because we're we're seen as over emotional and over dramatic in our symptoms and like when I've given symptom, like everything that Tara just talked about, I literally was told like by every doctor, they were just like, we're just going to go with the anxiety. And I just was like, unless I like, I'm like, Jesus, unless I find out what I have, I'm never going to get diagnosed. Like, oh, I'm never, I was like, unless I diagnose myself, which is actually the worst thing. I'm just going to be honest is because if you're a control freak about your medical care, having to diagnose yourself, is not going to help you loosen the reins because um, <laughs> you're like, I'm Dr. House, guys. I basically <laughs> did it. Um, and I actually told it to people. They're like, your doctor's so nice. And I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of sick of nice doctors. I want someone that's rude to me but can heal me. I'm like, if he's rude to me and he's mean but he can heal me, I'm like, that's great. But I'm like, doc- nice doctors are good too because with, uh, unfortunately with what me and Tara are dealing with, there's not really a lot that they can do right now. They're yeah. still researching these rare conditions. Um, even though the world's apart when it's rare and they don't have a lot of information, they're, they're still learning. But I think for me, like that's a big thing is if the medical community can listen to patients that have patient advocacy, that'd be great. Um, but another big thing that I want to say is don't over spiritualize my condition. Mm. Please don't tell me that I'm not praying hard enough. Please don't tell me that I have disbelief in my life. Like I want to just speak to whoever else is like listening to this might be dealing with that. Like, that's really harmful because what we're like, what me our terror dealing with, you automatically get depression, anxiety when you have autoimmune illnesses, not because it's your fault, but literally because your conditions create anxiety within you chemically. And they also create depression because you're dealing with something that you don't know if it will ever end in your mm-hmm. lifetime. So it's just depressing. Like you will have moments like not where you're actually full on depressed, but you can be like you can have moments where you're just like, this is really, really hard. So having someone take Jesus away from you in a way being like, you're not praying hard enough or you're not really or like even just someone simply I had someone come up to me that was like, I've been praying for you for weeks. How do you feel today? 
And I was like, I'm okay. And he was like, you're just okay today? Just okay? Mm. And I turned to him and I said, and this is somebody that works in a church that loves Jesus. And I had to turn to him and say, okay is actually really good. Okay is great. Okay yeah. is a miracle. Like, and I had to tell that to them because I just was like, guys, like, don't take away my okay. Like, okay is a big step from like, yeah. I don't think I can get out of bed today. I don't think I'll ever be able to eat food. Like being like, I can function, good day. Um, so that's the big thing is don't try to make everything into like a spiritual thing. Like Jesus is with me. Jesus loves me through this. Will Jesus heal me in my lifetime the way that I desire to be healed? I honestly don't know, mm. but like there's, but it's really opened my eyes to the word of God. Like, cause there's people I wish I could talk to. If I could talk to anybody, like I would love to talk to the woman that bled for 12 years and talk to her before mm. she met Jesus, like in the middle of it where I'm like, girl, what's happening? And she like had to be ostracized from society because she's constantly bleeding. I want to talk to Daniel where it just says in the Bible, it's like one little short like clause where it's like, and he sat in prison for two years. Like I want to talk mm. to him in the middle of it when he didn't know when it was going to end. Like yeah. these are my heroes. And like, I know like, and Paul, like when people are just like, Sarah, you have disbelief. I'm like, Paul, the great like apostle. Okay. Like he loved Jesus, did so much for the church it says in the Bible that he had an unnamed affliction that he asked for healing for. This is a guy that didn't die from a, like a poisonous snake bite. Okay. He has power. If he has power, like dude, and it, and he wasn't healed. God chose to work through it. So it's like, just don't over spiritualize it and make it my fault because then you put distance between me and Jesus. And believe me, I need Jesus. Like, please yeah. don't take away <laughs> Jesus from me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, um, I want to say lucky, but I haven't had too much of that. Um, so I'm really grateful for that. I don't, I don't know why, but I'll take it. Um, but you just reminded me there is a worship leader out of Kansas City. Her name is Misty Edwards. And she did a teaching, oh man, like 2008, 2009. She, she's done it again recently, but my favorite one is from then. And it was from Isaiah. I can't remember if it was 40 or 45. And she was talking about suffering and she's talking about how she was diagnosed with cancer. And um, she was saying, you know, we can get through anything as long as we know there's an end. And she said, and sometimes the end is we go to be with Jesus. And so that's kind of become my mantra. Like, you know, these doctors have said there's no cure. There's nothing more we can do for you right now. Um, yeah. And I'm like, you know what? There will be an end to this one day, whether it's Jesus miraculously heals me here on this earth or I go to be with him. Like either way. I'm okay mm -hmm. with it. I'm not yeah. okay and I'm not happy being sick. But but I've come to terms with the fact that this is the hand that I've been dealt and I'm going to walk forward and glorify the Lord in it. And Amen. even if the end comes when I go to be with him, so be it. Yeah. Amen. And I mean, there's so much in the Bible that speaks about suffering, speaks mm -hmm. about illness. And the woman who suffered um, the issue with bleeding, like, it says that she suffered under the hands of many doctors, you know? Exactly. So like, That's my girl. If That's what ever, I go to if, in the Bible. <laughs> if there's ever a case for chronic illnesses to be brought up in the context of church, in the context of teachings, like to an entire congregation, that is great because I think not only does this affect people who are diagnosed, but it affects people who are undiagnosed. It affects people who you know, live with those people and people who are in community. And that's what church is supposed to be. So yeah. I think teaching on this and talking about this subject is healthy and right for the church because when they have family members who aren't believers who then get diagnosed with this stuff, they almost like feel like there's no hope. Like, well, you don't even have Jesus, so I don't even know how you make it through the day. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if there's no context to discuss this and there's no... Um, kind of biblical knowledge that there's suffering in the Bible, then it really help it, it really hurts Christians and they fall flat. Yeah. Oh yeah. But you actually see like like um Kate Bowler has a book that I would recommend like if you're dealing with chronic illness or have someone that you love dealing with chronic illness. Um, it's a really good book. It's um, called um, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. Um, and she studied uh, the prosperity gospel. And we always talk in the church, like especially if you're going to like a Bible teaching church, like how much we're against the prosperity gospel. After getting chronic illness, I realized how much of the prosperity gospel has seeped into the church. Mm. Like if you live by these yeah. standards, you will have a good life and you'll have a good car and you'll have a good house and nothing ever bad will happen to you. And like... 
even with me, I'm just like, even when people are just telling me like, oh, like Sarah, you just got to keep praying or people being like, let me pray with oil over you. Like there had to be a point where I just was like, I love you guys and I appreciate your heart for me for healing, but I need you to accept me like this. I need you to accept me as broken. Like I need you to accept me as broken and that Jesus will make me whole and he'll fill in the pieces. Like that's Mm, what I need. Like I need to know that it's okay for me to be me in this condition and not waiting for a magical day to start reliving my life when I'm able to swallow normal and eat normal food. Like I can't keep delaying living. Um, That's the big thing. Like you're just kind of, I don't know. They're just, just people need to just see that the chronically ill have so much to say about the gospel. Like we aren't like failed testimonies. Like we're actually, we can do like the glory. We can show the glory of God in a whole different way. Like right now my husband and I are in foster care and I will never compare what I've been through compared to what my kids have been through. But I've been through some things that are hard and depressing. And I've been through some traumatic experiences because of this. And it has given me such a compassion and understanding. And sometimes my kids clean to me in a way that they don't cling to my husband not because they don't love him but even my mom said this past time she's like you speak a language that they're fluent in a language of trauma and they can sense that in you Uh this compassion because you understand where they're coming from not that you've been through the same trauma but you understand what it's like to have your world be broken and shattered and have to rebuild and and build up hope again so like we're not we're not doomed in this condition like we really Mm -hmm. like that is the silver lining of god can use this for his glory and he does every single day but there's definitely days where i do not see the glory it is not a sunny day and god still loves me through that day as well yeah well one thing i think is really cool kind of what you just talked about um is one thing that i purposed from the beginning of this is to share like my situation publicly And so I've done a lot of blogging about it. I've done a lot of speaking about it, but, um, you're right when, when you, when you're open and you've walked through this path, like people can sense it and people know. And so the beauty of like being open and honest about where you are and the reason I've been so open about where I'm at is I've had people message me and say, I thought I was alone. You know, I had somebody say I was having a procedure yesterday and only my husband knew and, and now I don't feel so alone. You know, exactly. people know they can come and talk to me about the situations that they're in. And it, it just works. And it's really cool to see how the Lord works through it. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, awesome. I think one of the big things for even this podcast is that I want to have underserved, under-noticed, under-spoken to, addressed communities, like, have a platform and have... A voice and be able to discuss and share just that that they're not alone you know like I I don't know you both didn't know each other's situations I don't Mm -hmm. think and so like I think there's a lot of bridges that could be built between you know chronic illness um, patients but also like the church as a whole coming around and actually supporting that community in a Mm -hmm. way that's that's really beautiful and a lot of churches have um, they already do this with special needs. You know, there's a lot of churches that cater to special needs children and adults and have sensory rooms and they try to reach to that community. And so I think this is just an extension of that work of speaking to these things and speaking to these um, conditions that people are going through that mm-hmm. they might not see healing this side of eternity. Yeah. And l- being okay with that, letting the church you know saying that out loud and letting the church receive it and sit in it for a little while because i would say the majority probably will never experience that firsthand right but they they'll know people they'll be connected to people who will have that condition or have a condition like that and they'll be able to love them and serve them and and be on their support team because they were aware and informed and ready Versus being like, wow, well, let me, you know, X, Y, Z and see if that works. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I will say one thing real quick that's nice is that um, here at the church I work at, um, they do have like a Bible study for people who are chronically ill. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Um, and one other thing is that I always think about this. They did a, a prayer and healing service here. On campus, um, sometime this last year, 
And I'm always a cynic, okay? Like when it comes to stuff, I'm always so cynic. And so I go and I'm sitting there because I felt like I was supposed to go and I'm sitting there and I'm being like my, my heart attitude is just ugly. And um, I was like, well, they're going to say everybody's going to be healed, which isn't the way this church operates anyway. But then the pastor got up there and he said specifically, listen, not everybody will be healed on this earth. And I immediately, my hard heart melted and I was like, oh, you get it, you know? Yeah. He was like, not everybody will be healed, so don't be disappointed. Like, there's exactly. a reason and a purpose for everything. And I, in that moment, I was like, oh, well, I'm an idiot. I'm grateful for this moment. Thank you, Jesus, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just the acknowledgement of that. It's yeah. That validation. Yeah. Yeah, like you're saying, that validation and acknowledging yeah. the, the situation might not change. Right. We can believe, we can pray, we can do all the things that we can do, but ultimately it's God who heals, and... Mm-hmm. you know and it's in his timing so yeah exactly. i just want to thank you both you know for your time and sharing i know that this stuff is it's sensitive it's personal it's you know real and so kind of coming on here and publicly sharing it's pretty bold and i just want to thank both of you and i know our listeners are you know thankful to kind of have a window into this community into your lives and you know hopefully we're all sharpened and better for it to treat and support and help and love, you know, our chronically ill friends and family better. Yeah. Well, thanks for having us. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Gerald. So I will, I wanted, I should have put a trigger warning on the beginning because of all the medical stuff. <laughs> for anybody medical, you know, who passes out at the side of, or her, the sound of medical stuff. But I do want to link, you know, your stuff, your condition, so people can read and research and understand yeah. You know, you guys shared personally how it affects, so maybe they could read and learn some more um, on your conditions. Also, I want to know how to type EOE fully, and I, <laughs> and yours too, Tara. I don't even know. I don't know either. I've never seen it written. The out. more rare it is, the more complicated they make it to say. So I just so. I want to do some WebMD <laughs> links so that everybody can just be really freaked out when they read and Excellent. be like, "Oh, this is me." Yeah, hypochondriacs. It'll be great. And then if you guys want to, you know put your social medias out there we'll put those in the notes too yeah. so people can reach you yeah. i know you both sort of wrote about this online yeah oh yeah i don't know if you have your i know sarah you had a blog for a little while right yeah and then, and then you, i got kids um <laughs> <laughs> no but i did i wrote down pretty much my whole experience and like even me trying to work on the path and I'll update it if I haven't updated it it usually means nothing's changed and I don't want to depress you by saying nothing's changed so I just don't write mm. <laughs> and you were going to but I think you post on Facebook sometimes yeah mine's on Facebook but they're all public okay yeah, yeah. so I'll put links to those too and then you know any of the young ambiguous listeners who want to reach out you might be going through stuff or you have friends and family um, I know Sarah and Tara are open for sure to helping yeah. you understand and and be there for you. Yeah. So, thanks again for being here, and thanks for listening to the Young Ambiguous podcast. Uh, we'll see you later.